Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Father, thank you for Pastor Lucian, for what you're doing in Haiti, for Pastor Ken and his many years, Father, of serving alongside Pastor Lucian and being an ambassador to this church for us to understand the needs there. I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Chris and his leadership over this church, and I ask for your message to settle so deeply in our hearts that it would be like a kindling, Father, and all the dry places where we have become dry, Lord, would be set aflame in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. So I love a good story, and it is story time, and I had a hard time picking just a couple, so I'm sure we'll get through this. But the first one I want to tell you is about a man named Philip Lazowski. Philip Lazowski was 11 years old when he was um, closing up a secret hiding place for his family in a place called Belarus, Poland, known then as the Zetel Ghetto. And he was there as he was closing up that last board. He turned around to go find himself a hiding place, and a Nazi officer found him. And as he was in uh, being rounded up with the other children who had been abandoned and some families that were still living there, he knew that at this point, if he was an orphan, he would be killed. And so he scanned the crowd in that moment and found a mother there who was holding papers showing that she had a job in the area, and there were two young girls holding on to her skirt. And he came up to her and he said, Ma'am, would you pretend to be my mother so that I can escape what's happening today? And she said, If they let me live with two children, maybe they'll let me live with three. Hold on to me. And in that moment, he did... And a thousand were murdered before him that day, but he lived. He was reunited with his family, only later to be separated again, separated by gender this time. His mother and sisters were sent off to a concentration camp where they were killed, but Philip Lazowski and his father and his brother escaped into a nearby forest where they lived through the war. Years later, he, was immigra- he immigrated to the U.S. and was living in New England area. He happened to be at a, a wedding And sitting next to a woman who asked him where he was from. And he said, I'm from this Zatel ghetto in Poland. And she said, oh, my girlfriend was telling me a story just the other day about a a young boy that held on to her, and she wondered if he had lived. And this woman began to tell him his story back to him. And he said, ma'am, I am that boy. 
I have lived. Where does this woman live? Is she alive? I need to thank her for my life. And so a couple days later, he finds himself in front of the woman that saved him. Now his, her daughters were older, and he was a grown man too. And as the first daughter came out and he met her once again, he fell in love. They got married and have been married for 60 years, and he served as a rabbi in Hartford, Connecticut all those years as well. And when he went to tell his story, he said this to his wife, your mother saved my life, and that's how our family began. See, God writes the most unbelievable stories, weaving in happenstance and miracles and things that we take for granted so often. Why is that? We've become a little critical of some of those unbelievable stories, haven't we? We like to circle around and say, that couldn't really happen, just slightly in our own hearts. Just a little bit will be suspicious. That's sus, as the kids say. That's sus. So, but all of us still love an unbelievable story, and that's because we are wired for that. We are wired to believe. We are created to believe. And we're not the only ones that have had this issue of being a little sus. See, the disciples kind of went through that. Oh, this is the last time I'll share that, by the way, in case some of you younger people are cringing at me keeping saying this word. The disciples ran into the same issue. They had to dis- disconnect that over time, all the stories and narratives, the beliefs that they had about God were existing fully in Jesus as the Messiah. They had a disconnect, and Jesus wasn't afraid of those moments, but he kept inviting them and calling them to believe. In John 14, 10 through 12, he's addressing his disciples, and he's saying, don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does this work through me. Just believe, he's saying, to them and to us, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at at least, at the very least, if you don't believe that all that you've known, all that you've experienced in your Jewish tradition and understanding and experience is coming down through me and that prophecy has been fulfilled now, then at least look at the works that I have done. You have seen me do them, and I tell you the truth, anyone, say anyone, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father He's saying, he's not saying in this moment, you will be greater than me because he is the one true Messiah, the only living God. He's saying, though, the same power that lives in me that my father gave to me will come to you through the Holy Spirit and you will do the things you've seen me do and even greater. Jesus keeps inviting us to believe in him, to just believe, and that's what I'm inviting us to do today. See, there are three places I think we fail to believe, in one place or another in our life. Sometimes we circle them one at a time as the Lord renews us and reminds us of who he is and takes us into greater expectancy about his presence, and that is that God is personal. To believe that God is personal 
that God is truly good and that God is powerful. And I couldn't think of a better place to invite us into this narrative, to this understanding, than through the story of Peter. Because we see Peter wavering all through the scriptures, right? Wanting so desperately to believe in God. And so if you're following along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 5, 2, starting right there. And this is the first place that Jesus and Peter meet, that Peter meets Jesus. In Luke 5, 2, it says he noticed two empty boats. Jesus notices two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. 5.3 says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. The first point about God being personal is that he notices you. There were two boats there, but Jesus chose one of them. The other one belongs to James and John. Jesus could have decided to pick his boat first, but he didn't. He picked Peter's. He didn't do that on accident. He did it on purpose, for a purpose, in Peter. Peter's outside the boat washing his net. Why? Because he's done. We'll find out later he didn't catch any fish. He's cleaning out his net. He's done. I'm tired. It's been a rough night, a long day, a bad season. Fishing wasn't what it was before. Long ago, I used to go out every night and I'd catch all the fish. And now I go out, I don't catch any. What am I to do? Have you ever had that narrative in your mind? You're cleaning out your nets. I'm done with this. I'm done with church. I'm done with faith. I'm done with this family that I keep trying to love. I'm done with trying to forgive. I'm done with these friendships. I'm done with this trust. I'm done with trying to beat this addiction. I'm done. I'm washing my nets. I thought, God, that you were good, and now I see nothing there. But God is so personal that he notices you, and he steps into that very place where you are frustrated. Have you ever... I love this part about um, Jesus stepping into the boat because the boat is still in the water. You see, if you've had a rough season or a dry place, I want you to know that if you are alive, if there is breath in your lungs, your boat is still in the water. Your boat is still in the water. There is still a place for God to step in and move on your behalf to teach you something. You're still called to catch those fish. And so stepping into one of the boats, and I love this because we're always like, Jesus is so meek and mild. But Jesus was like, "Ah, hey, Peter, can I borrow this? And he's stepping in, knowing, by the way, because the writer says, Luke says, that Simon was the owner. Jesus understood ownership. Now he could have stepped in in that moment and said, hey, these trees that made this boat, I was there when they're created. I'm going to take it right now. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't command us to give him something. He asks, and with a little bit of moxie, right? He's like, let me come on in. Because I know your heart is for me to help you, and I want to, so let me into this place. But I will honor you and ask. And so he steps in. And not only that, he asks Simon to push him out. I love this. Jesus wants to step into those places in us 
and say, go ahead. Go ahead, Lord, have your way. Whatever you want to do with this vessel, it's yours. See, he wants our partnership to push him out into the places in our hearts. Go ahead, Lord. I invite you in. Go ahead. And this costs something to Peter for him to agree. This costs him a stranger in his own boat, the very way that he makes money. He had to say, yeah, it's worth it. And maybe he didn't know all the intentions or all the goodness of God yet, but he knew that this guy was personal to him. Are we willing to let God step into the places we claim ownership? Are we willing to let God step into the places we claim ownership so that we will recognize and believe that he is personal, that he understands what's lacking there? and he wants to fill it. Luke 5, 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, because he knows your name. He's so personal that he knows your very name. He knows what you own. He knows what you've lost. He knows what you hope to gain. He knows you. And so when he knows you, we can trust that he is good. We have a choice when we hear him calling our name to trust that God is good, to believe that he is good. Peter had said yes to this. So in Luke 5, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Now go out to the water where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied. And this is so important because Peter at this point might hear his own name called back to him by Jesus but it's still his master. He's not calling Jesus by his name. See, he doesn't know him personally, like a friend or a brother, like he later would. He's still calling out to him as a master, as a servant. But there's something personal that God's inviting us to once we recognize that he is good. He said, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, because I'm your servant, because you're my master. See, sometimes that's where we need to begin. We need to begin with this place of, I get where my position is. You are holier and mightier and more knowing than I am. And so I will submit, Father, to your leadership. You be my master. I am your servant. I'm here to obey. If you say so, I will do it. I'll let down the nets again. Are we willing to trust God's goodness even as we process our doubts? See, Jesus never said, stop, stop doing that. Don't tell me what's going on in your head. He's like, come, tell me. Tell me what's frustrating you. Tell me what's pro what you're processing. I want to know these things because that's how we engage as friends. And eventually we'll be there. But right now I see that I'm only your master. Sometimes we have a hard time processing these things with the Lord because we fear that he's not going to be good to us. We won't just tell him the things that are on our hearts. But it, it's unfathomable to me 
that we wouldn't just have this narrative dialogue with the Lord all the time because constantly we walk into our homes or in our cars and we're like, hey, Alexa, hey, Siri, how about, hey, (laughs) you guys, if my phone is good enough to answer when I call, how much better is my God? That every time I call his name, he will answer me like that. Yep. What? You need something? Oh, I already knew about that. Let me go ahead. Drop down your nets, girl. Listen, we will so more, much more quickly process with a robot what we need than with our father. We will type it out on a Google search before we'll flap through it in the pages of our scripture. Come on, you guys. He desires more from us because he's good and he wants us to know how good he is. He's like, go ahead and subscribe and that thing that you are desiring, like we do on Alexa, on Amazon, let me subscribe to that so I never have to think about it again. He's like, yeah, how about you subscribe to peace? How about you subscribe to joy? That every time you have even a thought of a worry, I will download that to you immediately before you even ask for it because I know your needs before you do. We will identify these things in our mind even though we can't actually figure out how, I don't know how that stuff works, algorithms and all those things. I don't know how somebody can hear me and respond and search all of the internet and know what I need before I hardly even say a few words. But I trust it. Do we trust that our God, even in a moment of a few words, will respond to us with his goodness and his kindness and his mercy? Are are we willing to, to trust God's goodness even as we process our doubts? In this moment, Peter is processing. See, I've tried this thing over and over and over. I let down those nets all night. I didn't catch anything. Somebody tell me the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. Sometimes God in his goodness is going to ask you to do something that is crazy and unbelievable. And so you will believe that he is good. That when you let down those nets once more, you'll realize that he had stepped into the boat before you got back in. That he anointed that place where your boat is sitting now. And when you let those nets down again, what you're bringing in, oh, not only can you not contain it, but your neighbor's boat cannot contain it. Because God is powerful. Believe that God is powerful. Luke 5, 6. And this time, say this time. This time time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout of help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Jesus steps into your boat, you better be ready for the fullness of his goodness to overwhelm you. The thing that I don't understand, though, is that we walk around sometimes, and I have never read that verse and thought, oh, man, Enemy's trying to sink that boat. (laughs) The enemy is trying to sink that boat. Could you imagine 
But we do that all the time. The Lord has covered us in abundance and goodness. And we'll look at our life and go, and he's trying to sink me. God has overwhelmed you. You cannot contain his glory. We give more power to the enemy than we do to our God. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If my God is for me, and I know he is, I know he is for you, then who can be against you? Who can be against you? Who can be against you? Are you willing to put more belief in what God is doing than what the enemy is doing? Are there assignments against us? Yes. But more often than not, I think there's an assignment for us that we haven't taken from the Father. He said, I want you to go here. I want you to do this. I want you to love them. And we've said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. The the enemy, he's prowling. I don't know. The last time I checked, the Lord had fully armored me and given me weapons. Have you not gotten the same? Yes, we have. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, God is personal. God is good. God is powerful. And when we are willing to believe these things, just like John 14.10 says, things will change. The greater works will come through us than even Jesus did with some fish and Peter. Here's what I want you to see. As we experience this, see, in the beginning, Peter was so willing to trust Jesus, to be quick to obey, but over time, his courage waned as he walked. Do you see that, how it happened? In the Bible, he started to understand that walking with Jesus cost him. And every single time, he counted those costs. In the beginning, it afforded him everything, a full boat of fish, right? He got this full boat of fish, this exciting thing, and he decides to follow Jesus. But what did it cost Peter? It cost him letting Jesus into his boat. It cost him his boat. And at the time, he didn't really think about it. He was just like, yep, go ahead. But later, and we do this a lot, in the beginning, we're so quick, go Jesus, yes. And then later as we walk with him, we're like, wait a minute. This is costing me some things. This is hard. That's not the enemy all the time. That's the refining. And Jesus was refining Peter over and over and over again. See, he floundered on the water. He cut off the guard's ear that was arresting Jesus. He denied Jesus before he died. And he didn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead when the ladies told him. But after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus asked Peter again, are you still willing to follow me? And because Peter believed and he agreed with Jesus, God restored the denial he had with a declaration and a commissioning. And so, because Peter believed, God promises in John 14 that he'll pour out his works, and he does. 
And so I want to parallel what happened in that Luke 5 chapter with Jesus and Peter meeting for the first time with what happens when Jesus meets the Holy or when Peter meets the Holy Spirit the first time in Acts 2. Acts 2 suddenly with an empty vessel walking and praying the Holy Spirit steps into Peter's boat once again but this time Peter is the vessel. And in Acts 2 2 through 4 Two and four, you you see it. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. See, as you believe in Jesus, you will experience him personally. That room and those people became the boat, and the Holy Spirit stepped in to each and every one of them. Not just a room, not just a congregation, but each individual person experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And Acts 2 goes on to identify Peter as one of them, but he was only one of them who experienced the Holy Spirit. I am only one of this crowd of people who is experiencing the Holy Spirit. I am only one. He is individually personalized to each one of us. People could hear them in their own languages making the gospel of Jesus accessible to every single person in every dialect that they spoke. He cared about them individually. Acts 2.14, then Peter stepped forward and preaches to the crowd. Do you get that image of what Jesus did when he stepped into the boat and taught? Peter does the same thing because he recognized Jesus doing it. And what he had done many times, he steps in in the power of, of the Holy Spirit and preaches. And as you believe in Jesus, you will know that he is good. See, now submitted to the Holy Spirit and completely aligned with his will, Peter begins to teach Acts 2.38, he gives an account of the gospel. And you can read the whole thing in Acts 2. He shares the full gospel. He shares how Jesus was and is the Messiah. He shared that he suffered under our sin and we killed him. And And he shares that, but wait, he's risen again. And by the way, he's forgiven us for those things that we did that nailed him to the cross. He shares the full gospel, praise God. And let me tell you something. The people didn't know what to do. But as they believed, they received his power. The conviction of the Holy Spirit came and pierced their hearts, it says. And they looked to each other and says, what do we do with this word? And in that moment, Peter put his nets back into the water. And he said, repent, brothers and sisters, and believe. And he charged them with the very thing that he had suffered under, to believe. And they believed, it says. And they became the believers, it says. And 3,000 were added to their numbers in that one day. A net full of fish overflowing their boats. What are we going to do with 3,000 people in a city like this? doesn't matter. Call in the help. My boat's overflowing. Your boat's overflowing. Hallelujah. Don't you think we'll figure that out? (laughs) 
See, our God is powerful. And when we believe, he says, greater works will come. He didn't want us just to catch fish. He wanted us to catch each other, to catch each other. There's this, um, NASA just came out with a new pictures of the Webb telescope images, infrared images. And as we think about how our God is personal and our God is good and our God is powerful, I looked at these images, and you could put one up on the screen, and I cried. It is unbelievable to think that the things that God set in motion thousands, 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 eons ago are continuing to move at his word. That galaxies are being stretched out in the heavens still to this day, even as we speak. These Stars here that you see, these images, each one represents a galaxy. What? Each one represents a galaxy. And when you think about that, as they looked at these, I didn't get a grain of sand, but I got a little piece of salt that you can hardly see, a little flake of salt. And they said, the picture that is here, if you were to hold this up to the sky, this grain of salt is this image. Whoa. This grain of salt, and it's even a fraction of this. They said it's a grain of sand, and I love that they said a grain of sand because we know how precious are his thoughts for you. That they outnumber the grains of sand. Do you understand that our God who is powerful made this, this one fraction of this little piece of salt is millions of galaxies and his thoughts are greater for you personally, you Nikki, you Pastor Lucian, you Bella, than this. If the heavens are on the move in response to God's command, then how much more will heaven and earth move when we respond to God's command to believe, to love, to go, to share our unbelievable story of how great our God has been to us? Can you imagine such a God? I have one more story that I want to share with you, but first I want to read this to you as you just look at this image. Psalm 104, 1 through 4, let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers, and flames of fire are your servants. We are the flames of fire burning and lighting up the sky so fast that it's hard to even get a picture of it. Just like this. 
See, he doesn't just want a moment with you. He wants a movement with you. A movement like this that expands and reaches beyond anything we can comprehend. So unbelievable that the only thing that we can believe is God who said, this is how I'm going to do it. This is what you can expect from me. You can expect crazy and unbelievable and miraculous. You come to expect it. And one more story that came out just this last week or two. Can you play that for us? I did this interview. And in this interview, I said, I don't believe that Jesus Christ exists. And after the interview, Can you pause that just a second, Kenny? And she hugged me. I'm just going to intro this real quick. This man is a South African priest in the Satanic Church. He was the co-founder of the first South African Satanic Church. Go ahead. And she helped me in a way that I've never been loved. I saw this woman is a Christian. I've never had, I've never experienced a Christian showing that much love and acceptance unconditionally. After that interview, I had a meeting with council members at the, at the church and they said, okay, great, now we've done all these interviews and people know and it's growing, Satanism is growing and believe me people, it is. And I had to do a ritual by myself to see how do I get more, more power, more influence. And I did this ritual and I opened myself up and Jesus appeared and I was extremely cocky and I said, if you are Jesus, you need to prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful life and energy. And I recognized it immediately because that woman at the radio station showed it to me. That's how I recognized the love of Christ immediately because four people showed it to me and I didn't understand it at the time. I couldn't understand it because like I said, I didn't believe. Even when I was in Christian ministry almost 20 years ago, I never knew it until a month or two ago. The love of Christ is unconditional. When you experience it, it is something different. I have for a long time believed that I am not worthy of God's grace. Let me tell you something today. The kingdom of God is not a gated community. The kingdom of God is open to everybody. It's my prayer that you will, you will feel the love. I, I pray that the peace of, of Christ will be with you. I did this interview. So he did a radio interview. And in that interview, he said, I do not believe Jesus Christ is real. And the woman that was interviewing him was a Christian. And she didn't say anything to him. At the end, she came and hugged him. Just hugged him. Just hugged him. And so when he did this ritual, he felt such love from her in that moment. And then he found out that she was a Christian. And so when he had this ritual that he was doing and opened himself up, and he experienced the love of Jesus, he equated the two. He had experienced it by a Christian, so he recognized it when he saw the face of Jesus because of her. Not the words that she spoke, but the hug, the embrace. 
He was in Christian ministry for 20 years. It took a hug to remind him of who Jesus had always been, but he had never seen before. He doesn't want a moment with you. That man has left the satanic church. He completely turned around and is worshiping Jesus. That is the headline of his life. The co-founder of a satanic church stopped worshiping Satan and now worship Jesus because of a hug, because of a love that could not be contained so much that this boat of this girl, this vessel, now overflowed, hello, into the boat of another person. We are flames of fire. And I prayed in the beginning that the kindling that is in you that has been dry, that you've been fishing all night, you've been doing all this stuff, I pray that it awakens in you today. I pray that it awakens in you that you would be set ablaze and leave these doors and love people with the love of Christ with your whole life. It will cost you your boat. I promise you that. He will ask you first, but he's going to take it if you let him. And it's the best decision you will ever make to believe in him, that he is personal, that he loves your boat too. He loves your boat. (laughs) You can trust him with it. Whatever it is that you claim ownership to, would you give that to him? Will you stand with me? that image back on the screen, Kenny, of the galaxies, please. You are more important than this. Believe that God is personal because you are more important than all of these stars and all of these galaxies. You are more beautiful and better I'm not good. Is that the narrative in your mind? I'm not good. I'm no good. I do things that are bad sometimes. Let me tell you, you are better to the Lord in his eyes than these galaxies. And these things that we can't even measure, this quantum physics that we can't even, we don't have language for yet. You are more powerful because of the Holy Spirit in you than this. If the very heavens are on the move in response to God's commands, how much more will heaven and earth move when we respond to God's command to believe, to love, and to share our unbelievable stories of his power? I'm just going to invite you right now as I pray to open your hands up to the Lord as a, as a sign, a symbol that he can have your boat. He can have your house, he can have your car, he can have your Alexa. He can have your schedule, 
can have your agenda. He can have your gates. Swing wide, ancient gates. The king of glory is coming in. The king of glory is coming in. If you're, if you're ready to step into a new place of belief, to become more and more a believer in who Jesus is more than even what you see around you, to believe that God is personal. You say, I believe. Repeat after me, I believe you are personal. I believe you are good. I believe you are powerful. I believe you are personal. I believe you are good. I believe you are powerful. And the last time, just to seal, I believe you are personal. I believe you are good. And I believe you are powerful. In Jesus' name, I release you. I release you. I release you, Holy Spirit, to come upon your people who are eager to receive your power, your goodness, your identity over them. In Jesus' name, I release you, Holy Spirit, to come and flood us, overwhelm us with your presence. Let us sink under the weight of all that heaven affords for your people. We are ready. We are ready. We are ready. In Jesus' name, amen.